you know a spot. But not just a spot. The spot. Actually, with the 2023 Nissan Frontier, you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots? Being able to reach them in the first place. Your spot is out there. Find your Frontier in the 2023 Nissan Frontier with standard 310 horsepower, advanced tech, and 281 pound-feet of torque. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. This is Cut To It with Steve Smith Sr., a production of The Black Effect and iHeartRadio. I'm Steve Smith Sr. And I'm Gerard Littlejohn. And this is Cut To It. Cut To It. We ask the questions you always want to know, but no one ever asks. Let's cut to it. If you ain't heard about it, then we're about to let you know. It's on. Coming up to the Cut To It podcast, Paige DeMarcos. She's the chief operating officer of the Draft Network. She's co-host of the TDN Fantasy Podcast, and she makes a mean Greek chicken. Paige DeMacos on Cut To It Podcast. Were there any particular sports that you fell in love with and also, you know, fell in love with that you went out and participated in those sports rather than just being an observer? Yeah, so I played basketball my whole life, and I grew up in a neighborhood with all boys. So we had like a little courtyard. I had a brother, obviously my brother who I mentioned, um, and then I grew up in a neighborhood of all boys. So we had this courtyard, and in the courtyard, it was kind of like the the area that was our parents were like cool with us going in there because it was safe and it was gated off from the regular street, from Monroe Street. So we would go there. And we played every sport. Like I was all time QB. Like I'm still all time QB with my family. Like I, I could throw every route. Like I was jokingly over the weekend. I was like, my, they're like, what's your favorite route to throw? And I was like, a wheel route. And they were like, oh, that's awesome. And fr- freaking out about that on social media. But um, I played every sport growing up because I you know, wanted or, to play with the boys. Yeah, you could be quarterback. What, what would just, you What would you throw to Steve Smith? What, what, I ain't running a wheel route. I'm gonna tell you right uh, right now. You know okay, why? What's your, why? Why? Why are you not running a wheel? It's such a lazy and sloppy route. <laughs> oh my God! Here we go. Only if the wide receiver runs it lazy. Come on now. Like, what's generally, your favorite route to run? Okay, well I break it down. Generally, wide receivers don't run Usually wheel routes. Yeah, are, that's for sure. Generally. Running Bad running shit. tight ends or <laughs> yeah, I was gonna backs. say slow tight ends. Yeah, see that that's why. So I, I'm I'm saying it more in the regards of if your go to route is a wide receiver, is a wheel route. You ain't right. <laughs> yeah, I was like, keep in mind, for? I'm throwing the ball to a really really slow dad, right? So that's why it's fun for me because I'm like, my dad is the slow tight end. Like that's the dude that I'm throwing the ball to. So the wheel <laughs> route out of my back. <laughs> That's exactly question. right. Who's covering slow dad? Uh, slow uncle. So oh, slow dad's getting slow by getting covered by slow uncle. So that's why this works, guys. Like, and, <laughs> and I push dad into the into yeah. the sidelines. <laughs> Good night to that uh, one. And I can tell she get excited too, because you sound like you will overthrow somebody, but it's not your fault. A true no. quarterback. <laughs> Oh, you better believe I'm, 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 look, I'm looking, I'm Tom Brady. I'm looking at you and I'm going, I've got my hands out. I'm yelling at you. I'm going, that was a catchable ball. You just yeah. slow. No, he running a six, four. <laughs> <laughs> 
he's definitely yeah that might be that might be kind i don't even know if he's hitting that so it's that's why he can run the wheel route he's not i'm not throwing him a fade he's not getting there fast like it's he's he's slow that, that so. can't run the slant no dad is definitely not running the slant there is no chance that's happening why not he can't big body it uh guys yeah, i think you're overestimating how athletic my brother yes right i can do that's that's where i get the whole wheel the whole wheel every route's in the tree for my brother because he's six six and super athletic but not for not for especially not for my uncle he's short and slow my dad's at least semi-tall and not that slow he's just average right he's average you go from chicago nebraska that had to be a culture shock to some degree uh, yeah it was a it was a huge culture shock, uh, almost as so much of a culture shock that I transferred. So uh, when I was a freshman, my first weekend at school, I was way overwhelmed. I was like, this is so different. Everybody's for the most part. Now Lincoln and Omaha has a lot of, is really cool, but like a lot of people were from small town. That started to freak me out a little bit. It was totally different. I was like, all right, I'm a city kid. I dress different than everybody here. I'm walking around in Jordans. These girls were making fun of me for wearing Jordans. I was like, this isn't cool. I don't like this. <laughs> like, this is not, these might not be my people, but I ended up loving it. I had my best friends in my whole life. Then uh, I had an unbelievable college experience. But my, my first quarter of the year, of my freshman year, almost, almost took me out of there but i ended up kind of my my dad was like you got to stick with it you got a scholarship like you got to stay there do your thing you'll be fine and and he was right you know and and change is different and i was away from my family for the first time ever so i got used to it but uh it was definitely a culture shock nebraska is not chicago so you're at university of nebraska you're 19 years old you start your first company seeing an opportunity to cover sports using twitter why decide to, to do that at, at that young age? What, what was in you to want to wanna, to wanna build that up? Yeah, it was, it was very much, I'm sitting in a, you know, kind of intro class. It's a journalism 101 and I'm sitting in a class and Joe Starita is the, one of my favorite professors. He's sitting up at the front of the class and he asked the class, he goes, who is currently on Twitter? And I raised my hand and I'm the only one. You guys are talking, there's at least 200 kids, probably more in this class, nobody raises their hand. And at the time I was like, I didn't care about Facebook. And that was like, this is 2009. Like everybody was on Facebook. It was, that was the thing you got, you wanted to do. And I was like, no, 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 I I'm on Twitter. And like, I think it's a huge opportunity to cover sports. And about half the class kind of started laughing at me. And I was like, all right, all right, cool. Like I'm, I'm that person. I like being the underdog. I like being told that I can't do something. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the first thing was like, oh, you guys think this is a joke? I'll show you, right? Like you'll see. And so I, I started meeting up with, um, I had a sorority sister who her boyfriend was a really, really good, um, was really into web development. So we just started meeting and we would have, we would have coffee meetings at this place Super. called The Mill. And um, that's, we just started talking about starting corn fed sports. And that's why we started it because there wasn't really any coverage um, that we liked covering Nebraska sports and Nebraska football. So we were like, why don't we just start our own thing? And I'm sure this doesn't surprise you guys, but like, obviously I wanted to cover football, but I also wanted to cover all the other sports. Like Nebraska has a phenomenal volleyball team. Like the nineties, Nebraska football is the current Nebraska volleyball team, like badass, really, really good. So I wanted to cover them. I wanted to cover our basketball team. I wanted to, like, I wanted to cover every sport. Like I literally love all sports. Enough people kept telling me that I either couldn't do it or I shouldn't do it or it was stupid. And then as that started to happen, it, it just sparked in me like, if this is making people feel uncomfortable, especially older people, like it was mostly older professors and older journalists that were like, that's not a thing. Newspapers, like you should go write for the newspaper. And I was like, nobody reads the newspaper that's 18 or 19 years old. Like there's an entire generation that's going to make this obsolete. Like trust me, it's social. And it just, they, you know, I think they were afraid of the change. And so I just wanted to kind of embrace it and take the risk because I could, I was in college and I could take the risk and I did. And it, and it definitely paid off, but it was, it was people telling me that it wasn't a good idea over and over and over again. That inspired me to think 
if I'm making people uncomfortable, it's probably for a reason. And I should lean into this and pay attention to this. And that's, that's why I did it. It's already hard to break into sports in general. As oh, yeah. in general, then you add on top, whether you're a minority and whether you're, you're a woman, not only are you breaking into sports media, but you're also on an entrepreneurial journey. What are, what's been some of the challenges you've had to face with, with going down both of those paths? Yeah, being a woman in sports is tough, guys. Like that's, It takes a certain level of toughness to just be able to do it in general, like constantly. And it took toughness in 2008 and 2009 as a freshman in college. And it takes toughness now as an executive in sports media in 2020. Like it's, there's a lot of the same BS going on now that there was going on then. Uh, I'm just in a different position now and I've worked my way into a position where I can call the shots as far as who I'm hiring and who I'm bringing in and who's a part of the conversations. And I think that's, that's how it changes. Like that's how it changes is you get more diversity from minorities and from women in jobs where they can hire people and they can be focused on that and making sure that there are people that are like me that have a say in the rooms that matter, because that's what, that's what sucked then. And it sucks even now, but it's, it's better now for me because of the, because of what I've been able to achieve, but, you know, having people call the shots for you and not believe in you. And even after you, you do, I could have one mistake, right? I could make one mistake. And it was so, so like prolific, the mistake to them where I could watch my colleague make 10 mistakes. And it was like, well, he played. So like, it doesn't matter. Right. Like he knows the game. Like, and it was like, no, he doesn't. Like, he doesn't study like me. He doesn't talk to the coaches like me. He doesn't talk to the players like me. Like, I out-hustle him nonstop. And I can remember that being so frustrating and just almost not pursuing sports because of that. But then just deciding one day, I just had this total breakdown and I talked to my dad. And my dad was like, listen, like, you love sports. Like, this is your passion. You're not going to give up because – some jerk called you sweet cheats in a locker room. Like you're going to get over it. Like you're going to get over it. You're going to get tough. And you're going to realize like next time he says something like that to you, you better have something to say back. Mm. And I was like, all right, dad. And that's, that's pretty much like what I did from then on. Like I was like, okay, dudes are going to say stuff to me and I'm just going to say something back. And guess what? Every time it happens, they're like totally check themselves. They're like, whoa, Cause they're not used to getting it back. They're used to just saying it, saying it, saying it, and nobody checks them. So when you check them, then it's like, Oh, okay. I won't mess with you for the most part. Uh, there's a couple, you know, extreme cases, but that's, that's what it's like to be a woman in sports. Like it's, and it's like, as I said, there's still a lot of challenges now that I face, but I'm in a different position. And that's why as an executive, I've, I've been very conscientious of who I'm hiring who I'm bringing in, what the culture is like within the company to make sure that we have diverse voices and that that can change the game uh, if more people have that attitude. How do you not fall into the narrative of now being in charge of, well, I'm only going to hire women Mm -hmm. or I'm only going to hire people who did not play, Mm -hmm. right? Where you don't all of a sudden spend it so far, like on the sacks. Or to where now you're instead of part of the solution, now you've just created a different narrative that you're part of the problem too. Listen, it's a really important question, guys, because it's I feel like this is where you can start to have that understanding of okay, this is how you how you do things. And I'm not by any means the person that's ever not gonna make mistakes, but what I can say is I'm always gonna hire the best person for the job the difference between what your guys are alluding to, and I get it all the time. Like you're going to look for women. You're going to look for minorities. You're going to look the, I, every, and I mean this in the nicest way I can possibly say it. Every Tom, Dick and Harry white guy applies for a job that they do not deserve. They are not entitled to, they don't have the qualifications for, but they show up. They're 19 years old. They're not in journalism school and they hit me up and they think they deserve a full-time writing job. Straight up. It happens all the time. You know who I don't hear from? Women and minorities. But neither one. 
I have had to seek out every minority that I have hired and I've had to seek out every female that I have hired. And why, and, why, why do you think that? Because I know for me, I'm, I'm, I'm not Tom, Dick and Harris. So <laughs> it, That's I, exactly right. I'm, I'm, I'm a black male that worked in sports for, for quite some time. And from, from my own personal experience, you have to be not even better than average, mm-hmm. not even better. Way better, way better. Exceptional. And that's just to get a foot in the door, right? So to yep. your point, every time Dick and Harry applies, but it is hard to stand out. So do because you think- you know why? A lot of the times in the Harrys get the job. That's true. But then also, how do you, how do you make the opportunities of not even just available, but just highlighted in awareness to other, to other people? you can make the opportunities available. You have to be conscientious of, of making this a part of what you're doing as you're hiring it. Cause mm-hmm. I mean this, it's like, it is, if you sat in a room, I would venture to say that the, the white guys in the room are more often than not going to think they deserve the opportunity. Whereas the girls are going to talk themselves out of it. They're going to give you 10 reasons why they don't deserve it. Yep. And the black guys don't, are going to talk themselves out of it as well, or they're just not going to speak up because it's, it's a conditional thing. Like we've been conditioned to think that we don't deserve these things because we haven't seen it. Whereas if you're a white guy in this country, you've seen, you can think you've seen it, you've walked it. And that's the, that is the time that is, you're talking about a lot of learned behavior, a lot of watching and seeing and, and not thinking that you deserve it. And and that, that only changes when people that have the ability to hire people are conscientious of that and say, okay, if I have a job opening, right. At the end of the day, you guys talked about it earlier. Sports is so competitive that if I don't have a reference that I know about you, you're not going to get the job because I know enough people in sports that I can call and say, Hey, tell me about this person. Right? So that's the first part is the networking part and how that plays a part in this and, and reaching out to people and saying, Hey, I want to hire somebody and I'm looking for, you know, this, these are the qualifications. Do you have anybody that you can send my way? Right? Do you know anybody? Have you heard from anybody? Because that's what, that's what's happening. Like, that's what you have to do because the guys who send me their resumes all the time, I mean it. If I went through and and I probably have 400 resumes saved in my email, I would venture to say 395, if not all 400 are all white guys. And, and most of them are not qualified and they all ask for jobs. And it's because they've been conditioned to think that they, they can have it. And, and I don't, there's, there's only so much one individual can do, right? Like, what can I do for my company? I can make, I can make sure that I am present in how I am hiring, who I am hiring and making sure I'm doing my due diligence to reach out and try and find people versus just sitting back and saying, well, the best people will find me. Um, That's just, I think my attitude, I can't speak to what anybody else is doing, but that's, that's how I've approached it. Let's talk ball. Right. So you've done, you're doing draft network. You've done fantasy. You you do a little bit of fantasy football, correct? Yep. As a former athlete, I hate fantasy football. Why you hate fantasy? Man, I hate fantasy football because fantasy football has financially has been great, but now for, you for have, who f- for everybody involved in fantasy. And football, mm-hmm. right? Fantasy, love it. <laughs> football, love it. You yeah. combine a fantasy football and it brings in more revenue dollars. Yep. But now you have the fan who may not necessarily watch the games, but now they're only watching because Some it impacts their fantasy yeah. football. But sometimes you have people, they can look at a guy, let's just say hypothetically, the guy has 10,000 yards. Mm-hmm. A billion, I'm exaggerating, a billion touchdowns. But if he doesn't perform that week on fantasy. You trash. You trash. Oh, yeah. I, I, let's, I, let's go. I've, let's never, I've never, I have never met a guy who's played in the league that likes fantasy football. I don't. Because I, and I totally understand why you would feel that way. Because if I'm Steve, or if I'm, I've seen it in an interview in a post game, right? Where you've got Travis Kelsey getting interviewed post game and he's, he didn't have a big game and somebody's yelling at him from the stands like, dude, you're trash. You're terrible today. Or you're tweeting at somebody and you're telling them that you, you know, you lost me my fantasy matchup. Like 
I can imagine that as a competitor, especially if you win the football game, like if you go out there and you win the game and then people are tweeting at you about how you didn't win fantasy, you've got to be like, uh, who the hell cares? Right? Like I tell, I tell people that all the time that play fantasy, like you have what you want to happen in your head. And then here's what reality is because the head coach doesn't care about giving Clyde Edwards Hilaire this many touches. Cause that's, what's good for your fantasy team. Like he's going to do what's best for the matchup to play that in the game. And that's what he's going to do. So you might want this to happen, but it ain't going to happen. Cause that's not the game plan. And if you don't, that's why, that's why I could see why you hate it. So I understand why you hate it. It's not like I woke up today and said, I'm about to screw over Daniel's hey, fantasy football team. Gerard's starting me on this fantasy team. I got to show out. <sighs> screw him. Like, <laughs> that's not what you're doing. Right. You don't get to call your own play. But you it marginalizes you to just this. Yes. To yeah. the point of where when you hear that, you're like, really? Yeah. And then now, and then I play fantasy mm-hmm. a little bit when I was done. You don't know the game plan. Right. You really don't. You don't understand or the matchups. And I just like, this is terrible. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I, I literally hate fantasy football. If everybody could just chill and be nice, then we'd be fine. Right. Because then you wouldn't have fans screaming at you or tweeting at you like, yo, bro, you suck. You're garbage because you didn't have three catches for him. And you're like, yeah, okay, cool. Like if people just didn't, people doing that to athletes in general has always made me upset like whether it's fantasy related or it's like you have a bad game and the team loses and people feel this sense of ownership where they can come over and tell you like like you guys are saying like you don't walk up to somebody you don't go outside to the garbage man and you yell at the garbage man because there's one piece of garbage that fell out and you're like you suck at your job like nobody does that like people just do that in sport we have to take a break and more than anything we gotta pay some bills mm-hmm. you got checked I love cut to it, and I I love it even more when you download us and subscribe. And you can follow us on social media too, Smitty. Where where at? That's at cut to it on Instagram. What about Twitter? At cut to it. Facebook. Cut to it featuring Steve Smith Senior. What about online? And you can follow us at cut to it podcast.com where you can buy merch and you can subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. I got all my answers. Question. Um, yeah, I got all my questions answered. That's what I'm here for, brother. Cut to it. Podcast.com. At Bed three six five, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get one hundred and fifty dollars in bonus bets when you bet just five dollars. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work. In traffic, so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Coming up on the Cut To It podcast, we've got Odessa Jenkins, the CEO of the Women's National Football Conference, a former NFL coaching intern with the Atlanta Falcons, and she's a two-time USA National Women's Football Champion. Odessa Jenkins coming up on Cut To It podcast. Playing football with the boys in the league growing up in middle school, where your coach told you that you had to quit because there was no place for you to play in high school. Now, the word I highlighted 
and, and I've just been sitting on for the last couple of days prepping for this is no place. And as a dad of one daughter, and then I was as a father of, of four and, and two bo three boys, I cannot imagine someone else telling my children that you, you don't have a place here. What was going when you heard that? How did that sit with you? And, how, and and now hearing that so many years later, walk us through that. Yeah, it's still a chip on my shoulder that I carry today. Um, and and unfortunately, it's it's a it's a story that a lot of girls and women are still being told by their coaches, fathers, brothers, sisters, moms. Um, but for me, sports was the one is, I shouldn't say was, but at that time in my life, um, you know, I was about 13. I lost my brother a couple years before. My family had been through a lot. Um, my parents were on the, on the verge of divorce. Um, sports was my refuge. Football was the place that I was going to on a consistent basis um, to be outside of my mind and inside of my heart. And I was on fire for it. Um, it was my safe space at the time. And that, that family that I had with the boys who were on my team was so important to me and my coaches were so important to me. So for my coach who I trusted, who I believed, who told me I was exceptional, you know, I was a running back. so. He, he, it broke my heart. I don't know how else to put it, to have him come to me and say, hey, you're great. You, 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 you know, the boys are getting bigger. Um, there is no option for you. And if you want to be a serious athlete, which he knew I wanted to be, he limited my options. And he said, here are your options. And it was one of the few times in life where I let somebody else give me the options. Um, because I couldn't see past the people who influenced me. And I think that's a huge lesson, particularly for women, uh, because the world guides so much of who we are and how we're supposed to be and dress and who we love and all those things. And so I think that it was heartbreaking. And so I went on and I, I carried a fire probably into basketball. Um, I carried a little bit of anger in the way I played ball. If you watch me play, um, I played a lot like a DB out there or a running back out there going to the hoop. Like I, I had all of that same fire that I carried from, from middle school to high school and to college playing basketball. And so in that moment, uh, I felt heartbreak. Um, I felt like the world was telling me what my possibilities were as a woman. And I, and I didn't like it. I really, I really didn't like it. I will say that, frankly, that coach was just making the right decision for me. Hmm. Right? I wanted to go to college. I wanted college to be paid for. Um, and so focusing on basketball helped me get that. For me, it was the right path. But at the time, um, I think that the way I think now is if you have somebody who you think is exceptional, maybe I wouldn't have been able to play running back at the varsity level. Maybe I wouldn't have been able to um, even play in high school, who knows? But I think totally eliminating that that was a possibility for me, period, for somebody I trusted, meant that I shouldn't even try. Hmm. And, and that, that's where I think the miss was. Like, you don't even try to do this because the path doesn't exist. Just because you come to a fork in the road it's, it's telling you to go left or go right. Well, how soft is the, is the dirt in the middle? I want to continue to go straight, right? Like how hard is this brick in front of me or what? Uh, so I think that, that, and, and, you know, the world happens exactly the way it's supposed to. But I think if you want to be a creator, if you want to advance something, then sometimes you got to go against the grain. And I think we should do more encouraging, particularly our girls, Mm -hmm. um, to make paths for themselves. And, you know, for me, I use it as a chip and, and now I got this league that I'm developing and creating opportunities for other women. So it, it worked out. Uh, but I would have loved for somebody to challenge me to challenge the system at that time.
what would you tell yourself back then to maybe stand up to those cultures or just kind of say, hey, I, I, I want a place or to create that space for you? If I could have went back and done that again, would have went and tried out for our freshman football team at Bellflower High School. Oh, be- I- hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. <laughs> You could have played for that sorry ass team. I know exactly, exactly. I'm called Bellflower still boo boo right now. Let's give the world a, a context. So com- compare them Cincinnati to Bengals. <laughs> Ooh, don't do us like that. Don't do the Buccaneers like that. We we weren't that bad. We weren't we weren't Arizona Cardinals bad. We were before uh, Fitz. I mean, which Arizona Cardinals you talking about? When they was in Arizona or or Fitz? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out when you say bellflower. Yeah. That just I'm like, that just debunked her whole story right there. Sorry ass team. Bellflower stank. I put it like this. When Bellflower has a good team, they got a good team. It's a shocker. When they don't they, Bellflower, this is how bad Bellflower is. You either play at night or during the day. If you cannot play at night, it's because gang affiliated oh. or your team is awful. But most of the time, even at night when it's a big game and it's gang affiliated, they just have a ton of police. I don't think Bellflower had a night game. Bellflower is an off-site team game for a big school. How about that? Because I don't just keep talking about my team, my school <laughs> like this. Am, am, I, am I lying, though? You, you, I detect no lies. You are not lying. <laughs> <laughs> and I felt like... Um, like I could have, I could have played and actually. Oh, you for a fact, years, I know you could have. No, there ended up being a girl three years later playing at um, playing at Wilson High School, which was in the same division. So she she was okay. a lineman, and so it was a little different for her. Yeah. Uh, but I definitely could have got a could have got a couple years in on JV for sure. How was your support system through all of this? What did they ingrain in you? What? How did they hold your hand? And what were those dialogues like? Yeah, you know, nothing was more important than going to college to my mom. Like she, going and getting a college education, she knew, she had the foresight that sports was going to equal an education. Education was going to equal a good job, seeing more of the world, and then the possibilities were endless. So for my mom, she was, she was all about, listen, you know, you're a great athlete, you're a great ball player focus on that. So she wanted me to focus on that. I think she actually liked seeing me play basketball too. So that was her preference. Um, so when I got home, there were no, um, you know, cry on my shoulder. It's just like I told you before, there was really no cry on my shoulder. It was either, hey, are you going to listen to them and not play football? Or are you going to focus on basketball? Whichever one you're going to do, you need to go be exceptional at it. Um, I had a lot of love for basketball. So I saw, um, you know, at the time I had friends who were going off to college who were older than me. And so I really saw that path and focused on that path. And then I had a cousin, um, his name is Lonnie, and he was on his way um, to college. He played, it's crazy, he played volleyball at Locke. This dude got a volleyball scholarship. This Yeah, at Locke High School, he got a volleyball scholarship. My mom and dad went to Locke. Yeah, so he got a volleyball scholarship and he was like, OJ, look, I don't care what these people are saying. You can ball, you go focus on basketball. And that dude ended up coming to like every one of my games, all through high school, all through college. When you're playing basketball now, where is your heart? I know you possibly like are. You're over there peeking over at football practice. Mm -hmm. Right going, man, that could be me. I dug 100% in the basketball. Why? One, I, I jumped when I decided that that was the focus. I jumped one hundred percent in. I completely focused mm. on getting a Division One basketball scholarship. That was the goal, and I didn't look back until I signed my letter of intent. The first thing I did on my visit was go to the football field. It was so weird. Um, on, on my visit to the college and they were showing me all this stuff, the locker room and everything. And I just was obsessed. And it was, it re-triggered my love um, for, for football. Um, I couldn't imagine what I would have done if I would have went to a big old powerhouse SEC football school. I probably would have not been able to focus at all on basketball. 
Um, but that's what changed for me. And so I think I played, you know, my seasons of basketball, but I immediately met this guy named David Kellogg. He was an entrepreneur and he played DB. He was a DB uh, for the football team. And a couple of years into my college career, he was like, OJ, I'm going to start. I'm going to start a women's football league. Uh oh. He started telling me that. He was like, People gave back to a crackhead. <laughs> right. <laughs> he's like, he's like, I'm telling you, when you're done with basketball, I'm going to start this league. It's going to be hot. Girls are going to play. It's going to be eight on eight. He, he, he over he there her getting going. her high. He had me going. <laughs> he's, he's, he whispering, breath stank, no teeth. <laughs> Whispering, whispering sweet nothings in his you ear. You don't know that David Kellogg's breath stink. And she over there, she taking it all in, too. <laughs> I was giddy. I was giddy. Oh, sold her dream. Oh, he sold her dream. And she, hey, I got this bridge. Now, it's over. They call it over at the pond. Don't worry about that. It's not over at the pond. I got the, I got the title to it. Man. It ain't in my pocket, but I got the title. Just give me a hundred dollars and it's yours. She was like, Do you accept quarters? <laughs> Everything in my pocket right now. Can I lay away it? Do you take bikes? I got a bike. <laughs> so so David Kellogg comes in and, and tells you about this women's football team that he that he wants to start. So what's your what's your reaction? Does that start to spur up your it sounds like it starts to spur up that love of football again? And how did you transition into that? It was wild because, yeah, so David, and David was actually the best friend of my college boyfriend, right? So, um, and now that y'all made me think about this, every guy I ever dated back in the day um, were all football players. So there was something I was trying, I was trying to stay close to the game in every way I could. Um, <laughs> Using all these brothers. <laughs> back to the game is what I'm going to do. Hey, you, you can kiss, but I just want your cleats. <laughs> <laughs> guys like they really, <laughs> they really didn't they really they had no chance but um but they could ball though they, they play ball. heading into my senior year it he completely tore up my focus in basketball because he stood up this he went and did it it was this eight on eight women's football tackle football and he had all the little teams around all the little cities it was like six teams and it was all of these athletes, girls from the soccer team, from the intramural teams. And David messed around and put me at running back at one of the, on one of these teams. And I was, I was, I could not, I, there was, I was so overloaded with um, happiness and fulfillment. Um, the idea, because it was the first time I had played football with women. Mm -hmm. And I never thought of the concept like, yo, I don't have to play against boys. I can actually play with girls, which was always my preference, like play against other women. And so um, we ended up doing that for a couple of years. And once I got a taste of that, I never looked back. We hear people say, man, we want equal opportunity. We want this. We want that. But what does really equal opportunity from Odessa's perspective really mean? I don't have a dream of women playing in the NFL. I have a dream of the WNFC um, standing alone, um, having an opportunity to bring in sponsorship dollars, okay. uh, build a strong revenue stream, um, work with universities and colleges mm. and the government. Um, to build a pipeline for girls to play football against other girls. Gotcha. So for me, equity looks like developing a professional women's tackle football league um, that has its uh, support from mm. professional men's football, uh, but that we will wake up and no girl will ever be told that her time in football is over because no opportunity exists for her. And see, that is an answer that I love. You want other women to have that opportunity that not to hear what you heard, which is you have no place. Because this world is big enough with the right leadership Correct. in every area, right? And we're just talking about football, with the right leadership, there's enough football fields to go around there's enough footballs to go around and there's enough cliques. And listen, 
it sounds like there's enough bodies that want to get punished like the game of football is, mm-hmm. right? And who are willing to put themselves through it. Yep. And also, too, just personally, you know, I know you guys are looking and with, with, with the pandemic and all, all of that stuff, I think it will be good as Steve Smith uh, Sr., um, comes along, we, you know, whatever stuff you guys have having going on, email us and we'll give you a thousand dollars. Um, and then my foundation will also do a thousand dollars just, wow. just to say, you know, and, and the reason I say all of that is I can't fix all of the issues, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. if I, if you get enough of enough people that's right behind y'all, that that's what it counts. And so, the, you know, so just hearing your answer and, and why really encouraged me. And I loved it because it wasn't a, it wasn't an extravagant yeah. ask or thought. It was a it's thought through. It was, it was a kiss. Mm-hmm. For me, yeah. I believe in that there's things that will happen and will exist that I can't see. Um, but I've been in, I've been at this for a decade. This ain't new, right? Like I, I'm working my ass off to build this. I'm not asking for anybody to give me or hand me anything. I've been working at it for a decade. So it's not like um, this is happening overnight or I see what's been built over a hundred years and think that I can build it in two. What, what I'm asking for is that to your point, there are people like you, there are, there are brands out there, you know, shout out to Adidas and Riddell sports who have already jumped on board with us, but there are people um, that can literally change the trajectory of the opportunity that women have in women's sports. And I think it just takes um, some unity uh, and some support. You know, I think that there's billions and billions of dollars. Like I was in, on one, of, I don't know if you have all the slides, but there's one of the things in my presentation that I always present that says that uh, $500 million has been invested over the last seven years in failed professional men's football leagues. $500 million. You ain't lying, girl. And, and what, I, what I would do with 1% of that would blow somebody's mind. I think it's about that time. Just uh, take a little breather. Cut to it. Cut to it. Let's get down to it. Cut to it. Hey, Gerard, where did you get that T-shirt? You mean this thing? Oh, yes. I got it from CutToItPodcast.com where we have exclusive merchandise. Shout out to our guys at 704 Shop. But yeah, you can go on. Buy you a t-shirt, subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Coming up on the Cut To It podcast, we've got Jennifer King, the first black woman to become a full-time coach in the NFL, a former football player herself. She also coached women's basketball. Jennifer King on the Cut To It podcast. I, I think this is a unique question because I'm a dad. What's the dynamic when you want to play, and obviously your girl, so we, I, I want to highlight that and also talk about, to some degree, talk about 
the stigma of girls playing guy sports, especially at a young age, because I, I've used to do, I used to do football camps when I did play. And I, and I, one thing that I always noticed that was really cool is you always got two or three girls, but those two or three girls were always excellent players because they, most, most young men playing sports, they lacked the details, mm-hmm. but they, that girls that played, they always knew that they had to have the fundamentals, fundamentals. because some girls were just physically not as strong or not as fast as the counterparts as the counterparts. Mm -hmm. And so what was the dynamic between mom seeing you play football and dad seeing you play football? Yeah, that that was funny because, um, you know, when I got to like middle school, even high school, you know, the coaches were like, you know, like, I think she can help us, you know? So I was, I was trying, I was trying, but you know, they was like, nah, like they pretty, my parents pretty much let me do anything else and supported me except for for playing football. Just they, they were worried about you know me getting injured, so I didn't get to do it. So I still just played in like PE and you know in class, but uh, that was it pretty much until I was an adult. So did they ever tell you that you that you can't? Nah, they never told me I couldn't. They just didn't sign me up or allow me to do it because you know they were worried about me getting injured. So that was pretty much it. Not that I couldn't do it. It was just. They were concerned. And I, I like that because obviously I'm a dad and I play football. And, you know, I remember I wasn't working a Thursday night and I was watching, but I was watching Thursday night because I had to take notes and I had a show to do the next, that following weekend. And because of that, I was watching a Thursday night and I remember sitting there watching Ryan Sazier when mm. he got his injury. Yeah. And I can remember like yesterday, my wife goes, my wife Angie goes, that's why I won't bam playing football. And I got so, I was a little bit irritated because I had to walk, I paused it, and I walked Boston through mm-hmm. what happened and why it happened, not the sport. Yeah, Her natural reaction, which I, I agree yeah. with. It's a brutal sport. That's why I wanted to play. But as a dad, I had to go, no, it's not the sport necessarily. It's the participant in that sport that increased the chances of his probability of getting hurt on the way he did something. And we went back through it, and I walked him through it. And from that moment on, I had told my son, for you to play this game, if you can't see, if you don't see what you hit, mm-hmm. you don't hit it. Yeah. And on that particular play, and I played against Ryan, he's a hell of a football player. But also, like anybody else, you can have that centimeter of air. Yeah. Put your head down, and it can cost you something. I broke my neck in college. Mm-hmm. I put my head down. And the two people hit me exactly on the same shoulders. Yeah. And I had a C4 burst fracture. And I was in a neck harness for about seven or eight months. Wow. To the point where I had to lift. When I got out of the neck harness, I had to lift and improve my support around my shoulders. I didn't have a fusion surgery, but I had to lift every time until a long time. And I never told anybody, and I'm saying it now is probably for the first three, four years of my career, anytime I would turn abruptly right or left, or if I didn't lift that week, I would get a stinger that would wow. go up my neck. Wow. And, and I had to, but I, that's all I did. I wouldn't lift much, but I'd get them traps. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. And, 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 and the reason I got injured, here's why I got injured. Rob Morris was a linebacker for BYU. We had to win that game to go off to the Vegas Bowl to play eventually a team led by Fresno State by David Carr. Mm-hmm. And I was playing punt return, and Rob Morris was a potential first-round draft pick. He ended up getting drafted, I think, uh, in the first round, 14th or something pick. And Rob Morris played on special teams, and I saw him. So I was going to dip on him. 
And the same way I play, I tried to dip on Rob Morris. The same way I tried to uh, beat New Mexico when I played against uh, um, Brian Urlacher. I wanted to show this little kid from LA can play in the league. It was my it was my opportunity to showcase what I could do for scouts because I was not getting looked at as much. I was a after Thanksgiving I was about one sixty eight, <laughs> you know, in, in, in college, and I remember. I tried to dip on him. I was on the sideline, our sideline, going down in, in Provo, yeah. going down the sideline. And, and I was like, hmm. Went to dip on him, dip my head. The other guy I did not see hit. They both hit both shoulders simultaneously. Bang. Back in the day, I'm like, man, my neck is tight. So they took me out for a few plays, put some Bengay on it. Uh-huh. <laughs> Rub some Bengay on it. Probably went Biofreeze. No, Biofreeze wasn't in. It, it went Bengay. You had that old man smell. Put that on there and finish the game. We call that, that bio that uh, that, that, uh, that bio stuff, cream of Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we used to call it, Biofreeze. Cream of Jesus. Let so, the cream of Jesus on it. Go ahead. So I go on there, man, and we finish the game, and it's called the Holy War in Utah. They always play. BYU and BYU and Utah always play around Thanksgiving. Mom was in town. We won the game. We going to the Vegas Bowl. And I'm a self-adjuster. Mm-hmm. Self-adjuster is somebody to try to adjust. I don't go to chiropractor. I'm chiropractor. <laughs> so I'm trying to adjust my neck. Man, I got a crick. It's getting stiffer and stiffer. We go to the doc. I go to the doctor. I say, man, my neck is stiff. It's getting worse and worse. They do an x-ray. We're just going to do a routine x-ray. Man, before I get 10 minutes down, down the street, you need to come back. You got C4 burst fracture. Broke my neck. Put me in a harness. Didn't get to play. If you go back and see the Vegas Bowl, you'll see me. I'm holding up trophy, and I was in a neck brace. Mm. You know, career in, 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 in question. So are you saying then that you believe you got injured because you had just a, a slight decrease in the fundamentals? You forgot the fundamentals at that point? Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. I, yeah. I, got, I forgot. I did not have the fundamentals. I knew the fundamentals, but I, re, I reacted, mm-hmm. and I did, I did not see what I, I hit. Right. And so it, that's what happened. And so when you have these camps, typically these, these young women that are playing, they, they, don't miss, they, they don't miss the they fundamentals miss part. The They're fundamentals. building on the fundamentals. They have so much fundamentals. They They – hone in and every I did I did three or four camps every year for eight years yeah I did them all and not this isn't a brag I did them I had the honor of doing them on military basis Mm -hmm. so I've done camps in Hawaii Frankfurt Germany Camp Humphreys in South Korea down to Fort Bragg and it's still a constant and it does not – I don't care where I go, there's always three or four girls who who have the fundamentals. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's awesome because, yes, they may be – not all. Some are more – there's a few girls. I remember I was in elementary school, and I saw a girl named Felicia just mollywop a dude one time. <laughs> so it, you gave know, them their work? Gave them put their work. Put them paws on put them. Bang, 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 bang. a biscuit. Oh, Whole eight piece, right? <laughs> Bucket, coleslaw too, <laughs> with the sides, <laughs> with the sides, <laughs> with the sides, with some fruit punch. <laughs> and I, I've seen some of the, you know, some girls who are bigger than guys, but the fundamentals, man. Some some young men just they're athletically gifted, but they they lack the fundamentals. Wow, Jennifer, what would you add to that in terms of fundamentals and young women in sports? Yeah, I think he's absolutely right. I mean, you look in basketball, you know, it's not it's not a lot of dunking going on, but the fundies is big in women's basketball and just how the game is played. So it's, it's two different games, but I do think, you know, women are, are really good at the fundamentals of sport. What was your plan for college? Oh, man, it was, it was kind of crazy because, um, you know, at that time I was playing a bunch of sports in high school and um, decided to play basketball and hopefully softball in college. So you know, it was a, it was some bigger schools like mid majors that wanted me for either, but neither wanted me for like both. Like basketball didn't want me to play softball. Softball didn't want me to play basketball. So I ended up going to a, like a D three school. Um, so you could have both. Right. I had a great visit. Uh, it was a really good, you know, uh, high academic school. So I went there, played both, Where, had a really go? good career. Uh, Guilford College. You had the opportunity to play both. So that leads me to 
believe the academic workload and playing two sports. How did you manage that? I've always been a busy person, you know, growing up. Sometimes I would have three different practices, like after school for different sports. So I was always doing the most. <laughs> so to have that, it wasn't that big of a deal for me to play two sports in college. As an unpaid Uber driver myself, <laughs> speak on it for the rest of the people. Man, that is ridiculous. <laughs> and sometimes I don't even, I, I don't even get it. Thanks. It's like, bang, 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 go here. Yeah, that's exactly how it was. Yeah. Jeez. Now, now Jennifer called out your place a little bit earlier. Now, I got I to gotta pull her call. Oh, yeah, yeah, pull now, it. She's second all-time in points scored for Guilford College women's basketball team. Mm -hmm. So she had all these practices, but she was still putting in the work. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, I was, <laughs> I mean, I didn't put in all that work to go out there and, and score, you know, five points a game, man. So I was, I was lucky to always be able to, to score the ball, so. Um, I had a good time at Guilford. It was fun. While getting her Bachelor of Science in Sports Management, and she got her Master's from Liberty. So she's as athletic as academic. Mm. Best of both worlds. <laughs> Touche. I see it. And yet, all of that, you decided to go coach the ball. <laughs> but it's a journey. But it's a journey now. No, I, I just mean, I just mean yeah. that is because you have all this information. You also coached. I want to go down that path. Mm -hmm. You were coaching. Also was a police officer. You know, as as they say in, you know, back in the day, old in living color, right? She got Oh, she got tree job. She got tree job. She's a doctor, a lawyer, a politician. Yeah. Yeah. I get that all the time, man. My my friends are savages, so So take us through that. You 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 end up being you know, playing, balling out at, at, at Guilford College. And then you start coaching the basketball team. You're right. So, you know, you started coaching the basketball team, and then you coached at Greensboro College for, you know, a little, little cool 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> 10 years. Right. And also doing what else while you're coaching? I was, I was a cop, man. Yeah, on the on the south side of High Point too. So you Ooh. already know what it was. My wife's from High Point, so I definitely know the that ins and outs. Explains it all with Ev. Because <laughs> Ev is about that action yeah, boss. Yeah. <laughs> a bunch of high people in High Point are about that action. Yeah. And I'm sure Jennifer can tell us. But, but but when when did you start getting the I guess to back all of it up, when did you know as you were finishing your career at uh at Guilford, when did you know you wanted to become a coach? I mean, you know, when you start to leave, finish college, you got to do something, <laughs> you know. So I knew I wanted to be in sport, and uh, I had some contacts already. And uh, one of my guys that ended up being a mentor for me offered me a job at Greensboro. So that's how I ended up coaching and got into it. So um, just to stay in sports, you know, keep that, that competition. You know, as an athlete, you know, when you're done, sometimes you, you have to find a way for that, to find that drive, that rush. So that was uh, the next best thing for me. Tell us and walk us through some of the things with everything going on, yeah. because I want you to speak about some of your experiences as a police officer, also as a woman of color mm -hmm. that's serving the community and what you experienced, because I don't know what you experienced. I don't know what it was like for you as a police officer, how you handled people, what you what you saw, and what you didn't see, what you can identify with now being out of you know, being out of the uh, of the role of being a police officer. And I just want to give you that platform, that opportunity, because I don't know what you experience. Only you do. But you also know a lot of things about your role that I have no idea about. Yeah, I mean, it was crazy working on the, on the south side of High Point. You know, we it was a lot going on. Um, you know, heroin was big at the time. So we had a bunch of heroin problems with overdoses almost every day um, mm -hmm. you would go to and just stuff in general, you know, the, the gangs and the, the drug game was crazy. And um, I think I definitely now see things from both sides because mm. um, I've been profiled before, but I've also, you know, been a police officer at the same time. So, um, you know, it was, a, it was a good experience for me. One thing I'm thankful for, I think our training in High Point was as good as it gets. You know, like we went mm. above and beyond the required state That's training, fun. which is not much, you know, and I think a lot of people, if they did that or had the resources to do that, they could be a lot better because, you know, sometimes I see things happen and I just like, oh, man, I can't believe they did that. Or and like we never would have did it that way. 
but mm. you know everybody's trained differently so you can't you can't really uh you know look at every situation the same just because it's different people um different training involved so um you know i was definitely thankful for our training and you know you learn a lot of lessons you know on those streets man stuff you can carry on in life and like you said you deal with people sometimes at their worst so it's how to deal with different kind of people and um, you know, we, we see it all and I did a lot, did a lot, you know, and how put experienced a lot and this definitely, uh, helped me, you know, moving forward and just, you know, in life. So, um, definitely thankful for all the, the first responders out there, but, you know, at the same time, some people need to do better and, mm -hmm. you know, we, we need some things to change. Is it fair to say, and I'm assuming with you moonlighting as a basketball coach and working <laughs> full-time job as a police officer? I'm imagining, I'm assuming, and I hope I'm assuming in a good way, that when you were coaching these kids, that you were instilling things in them because you were seeing the difference between yeah. the right response and the wrong response. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it literally felt like sometimes I was in a double life because, you know, say if I was working on first shift and, you know, things I would do, experience during the daytime, I mean, just be insane like a movie, and then I go to basketball practice, and, you know, so it was like a, a totally different world, but definitely tried to, you know, instill those values and things that I learned, you know, for the kids, because they were in college, so it was important for them to learn some of those lessons. So what was the moment when you were both a police officer and you were coaching? What was that moment when you knew you had to choose? Yeah, that was when I got my head coaching job um, at Johnson & Wales in Charlotte. So, um, you know, when she moved a chair over to the head spot, you can't really be doing uh, a bunch of other jobs. So when I moved to Charlotte, that's when I left uh, the police force. How do you handle some of the labels in, in, in coaching? Now, mm. you're a female coach in the National Football League. Congratulations. First African-American. Afri put that label on it. African-American full-time coach. You get you got a W-2. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, do you like the label of being the first black female coach? I mean, that's something that I can't escape because it, it kind of mm. is what it is. So, I mean, whether I like it or not, it's going to be there. So, um, I don't know. I think right now, I don't really think that much of it. But something, you know, down the road, it's, it'll definitely be something to look back on and, you know, be thankful for and happy for the accomplishment. Well, it's, it's knocking down barriers. I, I can truly say, uh, as the father of an African-American woman, in, in a year where I think there are a lot of firsts, you have, politics aside, you have the first African-American woman to be vice president. You have an African-American woman, uh, African woman who's now the CEO of Walgreens, the first time a Fortune 50 company. Um, and then yourself, the first African-American woman coach in the NFL. Like representation matters. My daughter looks at TV a lot of times and says, oh, dad, she looks like me. Mm -hmm. And that, look, her being six, me being six, that's big for her to see people. So I know it may process as if, I don't know how to feel right now, but you're knocking down the barriers to where she doesn't have to worry about being a first in certain instances. So it's really big. So I do want to say, yeah. wear it proudly because as a father, being in the house with black, you know, being married to a black woman, raising a young African-American woman, it is very big. So thank you. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate that. That's big. You are a unique person. You are well worth it. You are competent, and most of all, you're lovable. I'm Steve Smith Sr. I'm Gerard Littlejohn, and this is Cut To It. Cut To It with Steve Smith Sr., that is me, is a production of Cut To It LLC, Balto Creative Media, The Black Effect, and iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From Cut To It, executive producer Steve Smith Sr., co-host Gerard Littlejohn, talent and booking manager Joe Fushi, social media team Wesley Robinson and John Show. From Balto Creative Media, Cut To It is produced by Brian Baltashevich and Meredith Carter, with production assistance by Alex Labreck, production coordinator Taylor Robinson. Theme music by Alex Johnson. Lyrics and vocals by Anthony Hamilton. If you ain't heard about it, then we're about to let you know.
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. 